Ladies and gentlemen, please take your seats. The show is about to begin. Kids, get your popcorn out. Let me tell you the story of the space Viking Thor Odinson. He was no ordinary man. He was a god. After saving planet Earth for the 500th time, Thor set off on a new journey. When he got in shape, he went from dad bod to god bod. After all that, he reclaimed his title as the one and only Thor. Oh, spoke too soon. Welcome back. You are listening to Three Guys in a Flick. This is where we review the good, the bad, and the absurd. Tonight's episode, Thor, Love and Thunder. Beware, spoilers. Coming to you from New Asgard, my name is Don. And to my right, we have the comic book guy, John. And Flick. You flick too hard, damn it. And to my left, we have the professor, Ken. Hello, fellow Asgardians. How are you guys doing tonight? We have a comic book movie to talk about. How could I not be great? Oh, you're giddy with excitement. Oh, I'm oh, shaking. Uh, listeners, I'm telling you, this guy's got uh, binders and binders of notes sitting in front of him right now. And you guys are going to get a history lesson. So I can see John's nipples. Are you excited, John? They're electric. Yeah. Tonight we are talking about Thor, Love and Thunder, because this is the latest film in our beloved MCU. Yeah, we've been waiting for this one. Well, uh, I've been waiting for this one. Ever since Ragnarok, I've uh, kind of have a new love for the God of Thunder. Yeah, and this director alone. I mean, the fact that he did so amazing on Ragnarok, there was so much expectations and potential for this movie. Yeah, wa- watching this movie, this is the uh, fourth iteration of Thor in the MCU. And I got to say that that is pretty impressive considering how many times did robert downey jr don his uh iron man only three times but he showed up in what at least nine different marvel movies something like that it's up there and so you know thor he's right up there as well but the fact that he has four movies wow he's the first one to do it Mm -hmm. yeah for the solo movies Mm -hmm. yeah 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 probably not the last though we'll see well at the very end what does it say thor will return Released on July 7th, 2022, Thor Love and Thunder was directed by Taika Waititi. The screenplay by Taika Waititi and Jennifer Caitlin Robinson, based on the characters by Marvel Comics. It stars Chris Hemsworth, Natalie Portman, Christian Bale, Tessa Thompson, Jamie Alexander, Taika Waititi, Russell Crowe, and a bunch of other actors. So we talked a little bit about Taika Waititi oh so briefly. Let's talk a little bit more about him because, as was briefly mentioned, he is the the, the uh, director that did Ragnarok so much justice, which was such a delightful watch. And, you know, having that experience with him, there were, I well, for me, I had reasonably high expectations how this movie should be going based on my love of Thor Ragnarok and what Taika Waititi did with that. And so it's curious to think about, you know, where this story was going to go. 
and the fact that you know he directed it and was responsible for writing it, it, it it's a uh, you know it, it's a curious thought to how well um, he is coming along because he doesn't have that many directing credits. Um, no, he doesn't have uh, a whole lot of directing credits, but the ones that he has directed are a lot of fun. And I really enjoy Taika Waititi as a director and just as an overall creator. He has this show on HBO Max, uh, Our Flag Means Death, and it's it it's, takes a minute to get into it, but once you're into it, you can just see the brilliance of Taika's writing. You know, uh, Jojo Rabbit. Love that movie. Right? I mean, come on. He fucking plays Hitler. But um, I really appreciate Taika Waititi, and I fucking really dig him as a director. I guess this was his seventh directed movie. He's got another one coming out. I didn't realize that he did not write Ragnarok. I thought he had wrote and directed it, but he did write and direct Love and Thunder. Mm -hmm. You know, now that you say that, it kind of makes sense. You know, because naturally when I came home from seeing Love and Thunder, I watched Ragnarok. So, so uh, yeah, you so, talked me into it. So <laughs> you can see the the differences and, you know, we're going to get into it uh, probably in uh, more depth than anybody wants. But I, I'll just say this now, Thor, Love and Thunder, for me, I don't think it could decide on what type of movie it was going to be. And at first I was thinking, oh, that might be kind of detrimental because I don't know where we're going. But then, you know, Watiti, he he just kind of wins you over with his stories. And by the end of it, I still kind of think it doesn't know what kind of film it wants to be as far as MCU standards. But I definitely think it is very much a Taika Watiti film, which then you have to ask the other question. Doctor Strange was a Sam Raimi film. This is a Taika Watiti film. Is the MCU kind of letting directors go out there and make it their individually owned um not property, but you guys know what I'm trying to Interesting say, right? Parallel. Yeah. You brought up the Our Flag Means Death. If you want another great one by this director, it's What We Do in the Shadows. Oh, about them as the vampires? Yeah, it's like a vampire documentary. Oh, absolutely. Have you seen it? Uh, no, but I hear only great things about it, and shame on me for not well, seeing it. Well, there's a movie version of it out. Yeah, that came and first. And then there's a TV series, which are kind of, they're, they're little subtle differences to it. It's the same humor. You can see Taika's style of writing in that show as well. Yeah. Yeah, no, definitely check it out. Have either one of you seen Hunt for the Wilder People? Uh, yes, sir. And fun fact before you get into it. It's in the Bronco helmet. Awesome. Thanks, Zach. Do you know what else Taika Waititi has in the pipeline? He is uh, writing a new Flash Gordon script. But he's also scheduled to direct a new Star Wars movie set to be, it's penciled in to be released in 2025. And he is also writing and directing Akira. Oh, they're going to redo Akira, huh? Yeah. Interesting. Well, probably a live action of it or I'm or CGI more. <laughs> but I, Professor, yeah. you told me an interesting story about his Star Wars project that he's working on. Who did he approach to be in that movie or whatever project? Uh, I, I, it slips my mind. He basically approached Natalie Portman and asked her if she ever wanted to be in Star Wars. Oh, I do remember that story from my wife. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so he approached Natalie and apparently he either didn't see them or he missed the fact that she was in the prequels. So he had thought that she had never been in a Star Wars project. 
this movie was made for $250 million, and it is expected to exceed $100 million during its opening weekend. I just read that already just on Thursday night, it's made $25 million. Yeah, that's not bad. It's not Doctor Strange numbers, which is odd, but it's not bad. You would think that Thor would come with more thunder, but I got to say, (laughs) you see what I did there? Uh, I got to say, though, you know, looking at the interwebs and I read headlines and uh, it wasn't getting favorable reviews coming out of the gate. And I just read the bylines, right? I I didn't go into it. And, And so I was thinking, oh, maybe people don't like this style maybe people don't like the direction marvel is heading because i think we're heading in a direction okay and so this brings up an interesting point the have uh we have in the marvel marvel cinematic universe four phases and these four phases represent you know four different story arcs that in general are being pursued phase one we have the culmination of the avengers right Phase two, I wasn't quite sure where that was going. But phase three, it's the culmination of the Infinity Stones and Thanos. Phase four, we are the six, we are the sixth movie into eleven movies. And so far, there doesn't seem to be an undercurrent or an overall story arc. Our our nemesis, the antagonist of the story arcs in general, you know, they're not they're not living beyond their their movie, right? Once that movie is over with, they are they are more or less out of the picture because most likely they're dead. And so I'm curious to see what type of traction phase four is supposed to be about because I feel like it has not been strongly revealed to the audience yet. And with that, these stories almost feel like in phase four, starting with Black Widow, almost standalone stories that don't necessarily interconnect the way the previous movies have in these other phases. Well, they might be uh, taking a cue out of their first phase because those films, you know, were setting us up for something. And I think that ultimately these ones are too, but I think that with phase four ending with the fantastic four, I think they're going to give us a big bad or something along those lines before we go into phase six. Well, I also think we have two things going on. We have, you know, the Secret Wars type storyline going on with the incursions and the multiverse and all that. We also have a storyline going on that Disney has kind of hinted at, and I think they've basically admitted to it. They're creating the Dark Avengers. They're creating the Thunderbolts, which is a new version of the Avengers with darker characters. So like, you know, Black Widow gave us the new Black Widow for the Thunderbolts, for this Dark Avengers. You know, we've got, you know, the Abomination has appeared back in different places. He's going to be on that team. You know, we've got all these different characters that they're bringing kind of in some of these side stories. So it's almost like there's two different things going on here. Why do they have two names? Are they the Dark Avengers or are they the Thunderbolts? Because originally they started as like a new version of the Avengers, but the comic book series was called the dark Avengers. When it was revealed that these were villains and not really good people, they turned into the Thunderbolts kind of storyline. It was kind of both happening. I'm sorry. I'm confusing things. The Thunderbolts were different than the dark Avengers. Yeah. These guys are the Thunderbolts, right? No, the new people are going to be the dark Avengers. I think I've heard they're going to be the Thunderbolts. It could be the Thunderbolts too, because, uh, Zemo did lead the, the Thunderbolts. Sure. And I don't know if Elena will necessarily be part of them, but I bet you she's... She's on the list. Well, 
I know she's on the list, but I don't know if she'll because that that's gonna she's gonna turn her back on any everything her sister stood for. And last we left her in Hawkeye, she was coming to terms with it. Unless she thinks she's on a hero team that turns out to not be such a hero team because it's being put together by what was that name of that that character that Elena's playing? Elena. No, no, no. Elaine from Seinfeld. What's her name? Uh, Louise Dreyfus. Julia Louise Dreyfus. Julia Louise of, Dreyfus at is, the end of Blackwood is recruiting for this new team, and she's recruiting all of them. And Falcon and the Snowman. Um, snowman. Yes. Yeah, I, I always call it Falcon okay. and the Snowman. Uh, yeah, I can't remember her name, but yeah, she's the evil Nick Fury. Yeah, and so basically, she's okay. recruiting this new team, and she's already recruited her. Right, and well, she. It's debatable. Yeah. I'm just saying it's debatable because when we left, when we last left Elena, she was in a good place. Mm-hmm. When what's her name approached her, she was all about vengeance. So I'm just saying, I'm yeah. just saying, I'm but she does she have, talk. but she does have that, uh, discount captain America guy. Mm-hmm. And I think you can get the abomination. And I think, yeah, I, I, I definitely can see that. And they've already announced it. They said the thunderbolts are coming. Yeah. So and basically they just need any, each person to represent somebody from the Avengers. Now, in general, I, I'm curious to know, John, how much do we have that's comic book in the MCU in general through these Marvel movies? The, I, I'm guessing that, what, 50%, 75%, we have, you know, sort of a meshing of a couple of different storylines in general through all of these movies. Was Thor, Love and Thunder any different? In- uh, no, Thor, Love and Thunder did a great job of, again, as you just said, taking, they seem to do this in a lot of these Marvel movies. They take two storylines. They take about 50% of what actually happened in the comic books and 50% that they rewrite. Um, and I thought Love and Thunder did a great job. It was two separate storylines that kind of blended together. Gore, you know, the God Butcher storyline, which led into the mighty Thor, Jane Foster line. They combined those two to make this movie. Yeah, and and you know why they well they take they have plenty of source material right with with Marvel comics, but they I think that they uh, they change it to make it more cinematic, mm-hmm. and so I think that when uh, books or or comic books or any of written media is transferred over to visual, there has to be some liberties, right? Because everything has to be cinematic. And what the MCU does so well, and they've been doing it ever since Iron Man, was they've made it a coherent story to follow. So if you didn't want, if you didn't read the comics, you could follow along in the story and still have a really good time. You know, with the exception of maybe the Eternals, I think their stories are are fantastic. And one of the things that I love too is you can see that in their minds, they've kind of got an end point of where they're trying to get to. And so they take these storylines and they, they add in their own little attributes, their own little bits and pieces that will lead into this final storyline. And it makes it fun, especially for me, a comic book guy, to think, you know, to come up with these theories of where they're going. Like looking at Thor, Love and Thunder, how does that relate to the other movies? And how does it relate to possible direction of where they're going? Like, how is this going to affect that outcome? Yeah, I think, I think the, for me, the bigger question is where are we going? Mm-hmm. Right? Because you guys know how much I fucking love prequels and you know how much I fucking love going backwards in time with stories. So for me, and especially with the MCU, I'm all about where are we going next? Who are you going to cast? Because they're casting 
it's just impeccable. Uh, well, and, they're getting and, bigger and bigger names. I know, and it and it's it's great. Absolutely. Well, the other thing that I love is not even so much the casting of the characters, the characters that we get to meet, but it's the things in the background that has expanded the Marvel universe, the MCV, MC, you know, universe in that, um, like just in attorney, uh, in eternity's throne room area, there were statues that told us these other characters are out there. The fact that we got to meet eternity is a whole new level of the Marvel universe. Oh I mean, dude. I knew you, you had, you probably were pitching a tent as soon as they showed eternity on uh, screen, because when, eternity showed up i was like wow they fucking did it and mm -hmm. it looks pretty fucking good they did a right a great so, job representing that character and if you don't know if you don't know who eternity is listeners then a you haven't seen the fucking movie so turn this fucking podcast off now and go watch it or you know our comic book guy usually gets a little bit ahead of himself as per oh, usual I, I if you want i will talk about eternity oh I, i'm sure you will I, you know, to, to finish up my original point, here we are halfway through phase four, and I feel like, you know, our story arc is, or, or the underlying current is yet to be revealed to us, yeah. and, you know, where the story is going to go. After the death of his daughter, Love, and his pleas for help are ignored by his god, Rapu, Gore is called to the god-killing weapon of the Necrosword and uses it to kill Rapu, vowing to kill all gods. Elsewhere... Thor parts ways with the Guardians of the Galaxy after receiving a distress signal from Sif. Upon arrival, a beaten Sif warns Thor of Gore and that his next target is New Asgard. Dr. Jane Foster, Thor's ex-girlfriend, arrives at New Asgard in hopes of seeking medical treatment for her cancer. When Gore attacks New Asgard, Thor's old hammer Mjolnir reforges and bonds itself to Foster after sensing her worthiness granting her the power of Thor. Thor arrives in New Asgard and is surprised to find Foster with Mjolnir. Thor teams up with Valkyrie, Korg, and Foster to fight Gore and his shadow creatures. The group is able to thwart Gore, but he escapes kidnapping several Asgardian children. Now, before we get into this, let's talk about a little bit the opening where we basically see the big Marvel with the video kind of backgrounds and the letters, as well as the music. Did you notice the two additions in the video? No, uh, I noticed Ms. Marvel and Oh, America. No moon Knight. Oh, moon. Uh, moon Knight's actually was in Dr. Strange. Yeah. I didn't notice them in Dr. Strange, but I'm glad to see they are incorporating it in the, you know, the TV series, the streaming series into these movies yeah now. but they said that they have they were going to this whole time i know but i expected them to still have the the big guys the captain america's all that stuff but no they they are focusing mainly on the new they didn't show spider-man or yeah, dr did. strange yeah, they did. but i'm just saying like right in the beginning the two first letters were uh miss marvel and moon knight that's the two big things that they showed we open with uh the introduction of gore uh john who is gore and why should i fucking care he basically was a guy who was a character that was introduced in Thor God of Thunder number two back in 2012. So he's been around for a little while. Uh, he was a character who had a large family, had a wife and several children uh, on a planet that was basically going through a drought and his family was suffering from starvation. The whole village was suffering. Prayed to his gods to 
provide rain, provide food, and save his family. And he had to watch one by one as his wife and all of his children starved to death. And he kept praying and praying until basically he was the only one left of his family uh, to survive you know, this, this drought so far. He witnesses two gods fighting. And he tries to get their attention, but they don't pay any attention to him. One of them drops the Necrosword, basically drops the Necrosword, which is named All Black. And he picks up the sword and kills the other god because he is so fed up with the fact that they aren't helping and they aren't doing anything. They just have their own little petty squabbles. So he kills the other god, realizing that then it kind of gives him a curse that it feeds on these gods and it gives him more power every time he kills a god. He makes the decision to basically go out and rid the universe of every god uh, because they are doing nothing for the people. They just are all about themselves. So that kind of sets up, you know, God or Gore, the god butcher, uh, the way that the MCU portrays him, very close. I mean, it's the same thing. He has to watch his daughter uh, basically starve and die of dehydration. Uh, then he tried, He finally finds his god, who is basically just petty and all into himself. Necrosword calls out to him. He's able to use it. I don't know if he used like a force thing and you know brought the sword to him and killed that god, and it started the curse with him. I took it as the sword went to him. Yeah. Because exactly. He was he was in a time of need, and the Necrosword uh, could sense that. And I mean, if we're talking about you know all magical power swords, um, so yeah, I felt that you know it's it, it sought out a new owner. Um, uh, one thing I do want to bring up, you know, I don't know if this is an Easter egg or kind of a call out, or maybe even something that's going to lead into future storylines. But I felt like the voices you could kind of hear that whispering, and the sword kind of had a little, you know black kind of metallic you know wavy look to it reminded me a lot of uh the sword that was at the end of the the eternals movie uh the ebony blade same thing so maybe we're going to find out later that the ebony blade is also a necro sword that is capable of killing gods yeah maybe i mean we like to think that marvel knows their shit i will say that i did uh to your point about talking about the uh the 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 pettiness of gods in conjunction with people um, focusing more on just themselves and such. I thought that was an interesting parallel to where people in general in today's society seems to uh, have a tendency to migrate towards. One thing I do want to mention, and I know you said that you don't care to hear about it, was I want to talk a little bit about All Black, which is the necrosword that gore was using oh for fuck's sake only reason i want to talk about it is it could be a lead into something that may come out in future movies and actually i really do hope it does all black was created by a character named null he was basically one of the most ancient gods he was the god of the void um and in his void the Celestials invaded and started a whole creation thing of light and everything in his void to create the current iteration of the universe. Now, when they tried to do that, he created this necro sword, this all black, and sliced one of their Celestials' heads off. Do you know what became of that head? No. That is nowhere from Guardians of the Galaxy. Now, as I mentioned, you know, my thought of the Ebony Blade is probably another Necrosword. There have, in the comic books, been several Necroswords. Can we talk about the movie now? I got to just say, Gore, you know, Chris Hemsworth has said this as well. 
of all the Thor villains out there, Gore is one of my favorites. He was pretty fucking cool. I, I got to say that um, he added some uh, some intricacies that I found completely offsetting. When he was uh, giddy with excitement with the children in, in the cage, it's like, man, you're a super villain and, and you're acting like that. That's strange. And he does such a, I mean, the opening when he's with his daughter and she has to die in his arms, it's fucking heartbreaking. You know what I mean? And then when he gets, he gets to the gods and he says, I fucking did it. I mean, uh, you know, I survived. I'm, I'm the only one left. And the, and the God's like, there's going to be more. You can fuck right off. I mean, he, the, the look in his face and the, just the, the betrayal. Mm -hmm. I mean, I bought it. I thought Christian Bale in this role, I mean, he's a fucking dynamite actor to begin with, you know, uh, but I think he might be one of my favorite Marvel villains now. I have to say, this is where my first complaint comes in about this movie. We didn't get enough of Christian Bale. I wish there had been more scenes, more development. I honestly, in my opinion, he could have approached Heath Ledger Joker status with this character. He played it so well and so creepy. Again, with that kid scene that you talked about, uh, you know, I saw Gore the Butcher. I didn't see Christian Bale, and I thought it was just a fantastic job. Now, do you know in the comic book, no, I did not. Um, Gore's face, he didn't have a nose. It was flat, and he had some kind of weird protrusions on his back. Do you know why? A lot of people on the internet complained that he didn't look like the comic book character, that they wish he had more of the flat face. Do you know why they made the decision not to go with the flat face? Well, because we've already seen Voldemort. Exactly. They did not want people to make a comparison to the Voldemort character. And then we get the opening sequence with Korg telling the story of Thor, and we get to see him from a baby uh, to young adults to the Thor we know. And it kind of gives us a little, you know, history lesson on Thor. And um, there's a nice, there's a lot of nice little callbacks and all of that. And then uh, we meet up with Thor. well, you just talked about the story time. Did you get a Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome kind of vibe from that opening with, you know, let me tell you about the way, way back nope. kind of story? Nope. You know what I got from it? What? C-3PO telling the Ewoks uh, the story of Vader. Mm. That's what I got out of it, for sure. Mm. That's what it, That's where it took me. Mm. But the, Beyond Thunderdome is a good pull, for sure. Uh, the scene where he's, you know, they show him running and growing to the different stages of Thor. Did you know who played the kid version? Uh, his twins. Uh, yeah, it was one of his twins. Yeah, uh, Chris Hemsworth. Yep, yeah. one of his sons. I think both of them played him. Did they? Yeah. I only heard that one of them. Yeah. Uh, I love how they nod to, they give a nod to dad bod Thor and how he works it off. You know, he's pulling the Milano or... Uh, the chains. Yeah, and the chains. And mm-hmm. it's so funny, so funny. And then we find out that after story time that Thor has given up his superheroing days and he's sitting on top of the mountain waiting for someone to come ask him for help. And who should come ask him for help? The Guardians of the Galaxy. So going into this right away, um, as soon as you see the previews, I knew that the Guardians of the Galaxy were only going to be in it for about 20 seconds at the most. And they were. And I got to tell you what, they're just as fun in 20 seconds as they are in a 
two and a half hour movie. It was good to see them. But did you feel it was a little bit of a letdown? Because I was so excited to see Thor go off with them at Endgame that I thought we were going to get a little bit more out of it than, okay, well, now we have one little thing and they're done. No, because I, it, it didn't suck for me because I knew it was coming. I knew that's what Marvel was going to do. And so I prepared myself for it. And, you know, it gives us something to look forward to with the holiday special in volume three coming that's out. That's a good point. So I, they gave us just a little bit of taste and I'll, I'll fucking take it. Anytime I can get the Guardians, I'll fucking take it. Wasn't it fun how Star-Lord was giddy with excitement as soon as Thor is going to unleash the thunder and lightning? He was giving it, he was even uh, mimicking the, or he was, he was even lip syncing what Thor was saying. He was all yeah. fucking stoked about it. Oh, so it's yeah. like, here we go, or uh, it's time for all this to come to an end or some shit like that. Oh, so good. And mm-hmm. and then the, uh, the, the, the final climactic climax of the battle where their uh, buildings are destroyed, but the bad guys are also taken out. Didn't that feel just a little bit, just a little bit, you know, like another movie? America. Fuck yeah. Yeah, kind of. Um, But the way the film was going and what we've seen so far, I mean, again... Yeah, you. I saw it coming a mile away, so I'm preparing myself for it. You know, I'm at that point, and I don't know if this is a good thing or a bad thing. At that point, you know, because the the alien races, like saying they were pretty much saying, "Oh, be careful." It, it's right. our most valuable religious, you know, right. location. So as soon as that happens, I'm thinking now. I'm just waiting for it to happen. So mm-hmm. I don't know if that takes me out or not, but yeah. Sometimes, sometimes they can be a little bit too on the nose, and especially in this in this film, there is a underlining theme that goes throughout this film. Did you notice during this battle that when uh, Thor goes to stop the two ships, he's doing the Jean Claude Van Damme splits? Okay, mm-hmm. the ship they escape on is called Cocktails and Dreams, which is the bar from Cocktail, mm-hmm. and then all the Guns and Roses songs, right? And I'm sure there's more. These are just ones that jumped out at me all released in the 80s right so i I think that this has a very 80s feel and then i thought about it it kind of makes sense because thor's been hanging out with the guardians and what does oh i see what's a good point what do the guard uh what's quill known for his music and just you know i'm sure that that Zune that Yondu left him at the end of volume two had like 300 songs and you know, they got to be fucking eighties classics. Right. So it, it kind of made sense in a lot of ways. And as we're, as we're going along and we're seeing the Easter eggs, I couldn't help but think that maybe Taika was saying, yeah, let's make kind of an uh, throwback to an eighties film too. And again, it goes into what kind of film did this movie want to be? And I guess at the end of the day, it's a Taika Watiti film. And I know You also look, you know, as I do, for the deeper meanings in these scenes. That's something that Don just loves to do is look for these deeper meanings. Did you get the kind of reference of Thor going in, you know, right after them telling him that this is an important religious location for him, him going in, taking out all those soldiers and basically destroying this, this religious location of theirs is kind of what Gore was complaining about, that the gods don't pay attention to the people. They don't yeah. listen to the people. And so this is the Thor we have now, that he's not listening, that he's not hearing what people are saying and not really caring about what's important to them. This starts off our Thor transition. This gives us our starting point of where Thor is going. Um, I 
probably am totally wrong, but when those religious characters came out, their leader, was that Taika? No, but for a fucking second, I thought it was Christopher Walken. Did you? Yeah, for, but then they cut away from him, and then they came back, and he talked again, and I went, oh, maybe not so much. I thought so much that that was the same, almost the same voice as Korg no. without the accent. What do you think of the gift of two goats? Was that a reward or was that punishment for destroying their religious structure? Got on my fucking nerves. <laughs> the screaming goats? Yeah. And it was kind of dumb. You know, Sorry, they, they, I'm going to say it. You know where they come from, right? That's another Easter egg. No, in, dude. In uh, Norse mythology, Thor rides in a chariot that is basically pulled by two flying goats they actually have names and they're like that the screaming part they just took off the internet they wanted to imitate the youtube video yeah um so in the meantime after uh all this is going on there is a distress signal and we get to see a character who we haven't seen in a while sif so thor and korg and the guardians they split up because there's multiple distress signals the guardians go one way thor and korg go the other way in the meantime, we meet Dr. Jane Foster, who we now find out has cancer. Stage four cancer. Uh, what did you guys think of them bringing Natalie Portman back? I thought that was kind of wild because, you know, she's been out of this story arc for quite a while. Yeah. But you notice they had kept bringing up references to her throughout various movies and shows and things like that. They talked about her book at one point. Uh, Thor even mentioned in, I think, was it? One of the movies might have been uh, the Doctor Strange movie that uh, she was up for a Nobel Prize or Nobel Prize. So they kept kind of they kept her going along. Yeah, but I'm just surprised that Natalie Portman came back because her relationship with Marvel was strained to mm -hmm. say the least. So, anyways, they bring uh, Natalie Portman back and Kat Denning as her assistant Darcy. Like that. And we got Dr. Selvig mm -hmm. because you know well, she's a fucking scientist. I'll tell you what, I didn't hate her in this role. And I, and actually, to be honest with you, I didn't hate her in the first Thor. The second Thor has so many problems that whatever, they were still trying to find their footing, but you know, I'll forgive it. So Dr. Jane has cancer and she's trying to, you know, find a cure. She's trying to beat it. And she is studying or researching one night and she hears Mjolnir. Yes. When she looks at the book, the book, the logo on the book calls out to her. Right. So she goes to New Asgard. And this is where we get to see New Asgard. What's been going on since uh, Endgame. What uh, King Bruhilda has done. Yeah. I'm, I'm a fuck it. I'm going to call her Valkyrie because. Me too. Bruhilda, you know. I think, is, is her name or something. Yeah. But again, I'm We're just going to call, call her Valkyrie. And, you know, this was kind of cool to see. And. Uh, the progression of what's going on and did you catch the bifrost painted on the cruise ships yes because that is how you get to new asgard they turned it into a tourist uh town kind of like disneyland what was the ice cream place uh infinity cones infinity cones with six candles on top yeah yeah, uh, I uh, I nudged Elise and she looked up over at me and rolled her eyes. So Jane goes to New Asgard because she thinks that Mjolnir will help her heal. Maybe. And, and doesn't know. In the meantime, Thor and Kor go to this planet where they see a slain god. And Thor even mentions, you know, he was a good god. It's too bad that he's dead, right? And then he sees Sif and he finds her and she's injured. So they immediately go back to New Asgard. One real quick 
I wanted to bring up about when Jane first got to New Asgard and is walking around, there is a tour guide that is leading a tour. Do you know where we have seen him before? No, I do not. Did you ever watch the YouTube videos that they made of Thor living with a roommate? It was kind of in between. Oh, with Team Kevin? Was that him? That was him. Fuck off. Was it really? He's the tour guide. And they're saying that this now makes all of that Marvel content. It's all continuity. It's, it's, he basically, there was a hashtag that get him into the movies. He is now in the movies. Oh my God. That's so brilliant. There are three shorts. It takes place during civil war. And as we all know, Thor wasn't invited to the Civil War, and he's actually kind of fucking offended by it. And it's him and Bruce. Uh, he even talks to Bruce Banner in it, yeah. too. I just watched them. They're on Disney+. Plus. They're fucking hysterical. He is the guy that when he's talking about Molnir, he is that guy. He is that tour guy. While we're in New Asgard, Taika brings back a shtick that he introduced in Ragnarok. Uh, they're doing a play. They're doing a stage production of Ragnarok. And I was so happy to see that it was, again, Matt Damon, uh, the unnamed Hemsworth, and Sam Neill came back for this stuff. In my my mind, I kept thinking, we're about to see Hela. Who did they get? I was going through my head of all the different actresses that would be hilarious to come out and see. And who did they get, Don? It was fucking Melissa McCarthy, and it couldn't have been any more perfect. Priceless. Absolutely. Uh, Did you know the stagehand? Uh, that's standing next to him when they're taking a bow. That's her real husband, Ben Falcone. You know, I didn't. Ca- I normally would catch him. But oh, no. okay. And of course, that's just a. That's another way. And and I think you know what Taika does with these movies of giving us the background, like you were talking about, that you haven't had to you need to see all the previous movies. This was actually a great way to tell us what just happened in the last movie. You've, if you had never seen Ragnarok, we got the quick story. Well, that, that's pushing it a little bit. It there, also buddy. gave us a again foreshadowing it gave us a look of what it looks like when it when you know an asgardian god dies that they turn into that gold particles and disappear because they <laughs> threw just the glitter <laughs> i guess taika started in cheap uh you know productions play productions and so he actually said in an interview that it was really fun going back and trying to think of these cheap effects to put into that those uh plays that he made for that so uh, we find out through Sif that Gore has been on the rampage and he is on his way to New Asgard. And he is using these shadow creatures, which I thought was a fucking brilliant idea when you first see them. But then when they start taking shapes, all I can think of is Stranger Things or uh, insects and and I get it. That's supposed to be the symbolism. Can, but I, can I make you mad for a sec? Oh, for fuck's sakes, dude. We're, okay, go ahead. Because they were supposed to be something slightly different. Were, if, they, were they supposed to be the symbiote? Basically, Null was the god of the symbiotes. He created the symbiotes. If they had gotten the licensing from Sony, those would have been symbiotes. That's why they could take any other shapes, anything they wanted. They were all symbiotes, the same as Venom. I really yeah. dug the intro of these of these creatures. They looked really menacing. And to think that they could show up anywhere that there's a shadow, it's like, oh, nice. Yeah, that was pretty cool. Yeah, the whole concept of it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then he instantly had his own army. Yeah. And, I mean, now Gore has apparently been running around killing a bunch of gods. This curse is really taking over him. I like what they did with his teeth. And I just like the overall look of Christian Bale as Gore. I thought it was fucking awesome. So he starts to attack New Asgard, and just in time, 
uh, the God of Thunder arrives. So him and Valkyrie, because she's the king and she's got to protect, and she is in her street clothes, which I thought was kind of funny. You have Thor in his fucking majestic garb. Um, and then uh, Thor senses Mjolnir, or does he see Mjolnir? Or, but Mjolnir gets his attention. Yeah, I think he senses it. I think you're right. Yeah, and then uh, it starts flying toward his hand, but it goes right past him, and we've all seen it in the previews. Here is the mighty Thor, Dr. Jane Foster. What would you guys think of this twist? I love the way they they added her in, the fact that they gave the impression that she has been the mighty Thor for a little while, that she's done this for a little while. She hasn't fought her first villain yet. This is her, is her first villain, but, you know, we don't need that that backstory. We got the impression that the hammer was doing something with her, and now we get the introduction. I really love, too, the special effects of the hammer. It's got that new ability to break apart. What do you think of that, how it could take out just multiple targets? Oh, I thought it was fantastic. You Very know? cool. And, and it's continuity, Yeah, right? So we've seen Jane as the mighty Thor, but I think what makes this whole scene is Hemsworth's reaction. I mean, he's he's flabbergasted. You know, I mean, he can't believe it. And I think he's still smitten with Jane. So it's funny that he kind of wants to get into it and talk about it, but they got to do this battle first. Well, I think also he's he's more driven to what's up with Mjolnir. Why, why aren't you coming back to me? Oh, oh my God. That subplot with him, Stormbreaker and Mjolnir. You never get over your, you never get over your first love. Yeah. So Valkyrie, the mighty Thor and Thor are fighting back the shadow monsters and they're making some, you know, headway. And so Gore decides to change the rules. He pulls a plan out of the penguins playbook from Batman returns and he decides to steal all the children. That is like, from what I have read in different stories, stealing children is a, to symbolize he's stealing their future, the future gods. So that's why he targets the children. If we go back to Jane Foster real quick, um, I want to bring up just another comic book reference because this is my moment to shine. Uh, it was something that I was talking with the professor earlier. They, in, in the past, they've changed the way Thor operates and the way that the Thor, Thor works. There's a reason why Jane could call herself Thor. Do you know that reason, Don? Because she's worthy. No. Thor has been, in the comic books has become a title. It's almost like calling her a sheriff or calling her lieutenant. Or if, if you are able to pick up the hammer and you are worthy, you are worthy of the title also of Thor. So in the comic books, when Thor loses the hammer, he loses the title Thor as well. He starts going by just the name Odin's son. It isn't until he takes up the hammer again that he becomes Thor Odin's son again. So that's just the way they do it in the comic books. So in the comic books, when she gets the hammer and becomes, you know, gets the Asgardian power, she becomes a Thor as well. In the comic books, there have been many Thors. There was a Groot Thor for a while. There was other Thors out there. There was Beta Ray Bill Thor. You know, all these different Thors because they got the title Thor. And all privileges that come with having the hammer. Mm -hmm. So she is the mighty Thor. So... Again, she was worthy. Yeah. And then so we get uh, we get another story by Korg, who is explaining the time in between all of these movies and the relationship of um, Thor and Jane. I thought they did a great job of explaining how she was able to hear Mjolnir. 
Uh, and when they were dating, Thor told Mjolnir, Mjolnir to protect her. And it, was, it was the same way that Odin had spoke to the hammer. Exactly. But he wasn't doing it the way Odin did it. He was doing it as like a boyfriend would do it, right? And it took, and the spell took, and I went, oh, that was pretty fucking clever. That was good. That was a good way for us uninitiated with the 8 billion Thors uh, to make sense of why she is now the mighty Thor. I agree. It was coherent. It was concise, easy to follow. I actually liked this way of making her the Thor better than how they did it in the comic books. This gave us a good reason why she was called to the hammer. We have been talking offline, and I'd like to talk a little bit about it online now, about the different stories that are happening in Thor. In this movie, we have, I think something that the movie suffers from, which is there's a couple of too many stories going on in this that it doesn't seem to have a, a strong direction that it wants the movie to be going in. Because you have one story arc about you know uh, Jane and her cancer. We have another story arc about um, uh, Thor looking for some sort of inner peace. Um, we have Gore the God Butcher. Uh, we have potentially a love life situation for Thor. And then we also have, you know, Th- Thor's desire for companionship. You know, w- we got to see that, you know, w- you know, he's with the Guardians of the Galaxy, um, his relationship with Korg and Jane, and then the children as well. You know, that he always wants to be around other people, right? You know, at the end, he gets all the children together, you know, and he goes to the gods because he needs others around him, you know, to to do his quest. And I just think that this movie doesn't necessarily follow any one of those story arcs all that uh, completely. That I think, it, it to me, it felt like it was following too many stories. The movie suffers a little bit from this because I feel like it doesn't have as strong of a direction to it. I think that sometimes superhero movies can suffer from too much, Mm -hmm. you know, either too many villains, too many storylines. And I think that this, for me, could borderline on that. I understand completely what you're saying, but for me, I didn't feel like it went over that too muchness, if that makes sense. The group travels to Omnipotent City to warn the other gods and ask for their help. The Olympian god Zeus is unwilling to help and has Thor captured, forcing the group to fight off Zeus's men. Zeus injures Korg. In anger, Thor impales Zeus with his own thunderbolt, which Valkyrie steals during their escape. Then they travel to the Shadow Realm to save the children. However, this turned out to be a ruse for Gore to take Stormbreaker, which he intends to use on the Bifrost to enter eternity and ask for the destruction of all gods. Gore manages to overpower Thor's group and successfully steals Stormbreaker. Gore uses Stormbreaker to open the portal to eternity. With Valkyrie and Foster injured, Thor imbues the kidnapped Asgardian children and their weapons with the power of Thor to fight alongside him. Foster joins Thor in fighting Gore and destroys the Necrosword. So they have this bright idea that if Gore is killing all these gods, then why not go ask all the gods for an army? Talk, basically go to all the major gods, the top ones. Yeah. 
And so uh, they have to find a way to get there. And they keep telling us that Thor has special relationships with Mjolnir and Stormbreaker. And, you know, during some of the, the bits, I felt it was just a little bit too much. You know what I mean? Uh, Stormbreaker's jealous that Thor's talking to Mjolnir. I mean, really? But Hemsworth plays it for a laugh. The audience laughed. Okay, I'll go with it. Uh, but they have to use Stormbreaker uh, to summon the Bifrost, and it's a little bit unstable, so they come up with this plan. And they get a ship that was one of the tour tourist attractions at New Asgard. They take John's favorite characters, the two screaming goats, and they build... Um, uh, they open up a bifrost and they get to travel down it and so new asgard is flipping out because their children are missing and i thought that how thor figured out where they all were was great you know uh, it was a callback to uh ragnarok yeah yeah because uh we get to meet hamdale's son astrid who wants to be called axel and he has the same powers as his father. And I thought they used that brilliantly. I thought it was a really good, nice callback uh, from Ragnarok. And yet a way to keep Hemdel's character and spirit alive. Did you catch when we see Axel earlier on in the scene during the big shadow fight, uh, the poster on his wall? The Guns N' Roses poster? He has a Guns N' Roses poster, which explains why he wants to be called Axel. Yeah. Well, I mean, that and the whole fucking movie was scored to Guns N' Roses. Mm-hmm. Come on. Big payday for them. Oh, I'm sure. The license on that alone. What was there, like four Guns N' Roses songs in it? At least. At least, right. So uh, they figure out where they are. They harness the power of Stormbreaker. They take a Bifrost to go rescue the children. And this is kind of where the movie slows down, right? We're on the boat. Uh, Valkyrie is sad because she, you know... Uh, she lost her girlfriend in the uh, war with Hela. Mm-hmm. And I didn't put two and two together until I was watching Ragnarok. And I look over at Elise and I say, oh, is, was that her girlfriend, you think? Mm-hmm. And she's like, duh. See, this is where I was a little confused, too, with Ragnarok, in that I didn't realize that this Valkyrie that we have is Brunhilde. Because in the comic books, Brunhilde was a blonde, white uh, Valkyrie. So I thought it was Brunhilde that got killed. So when I read later that this that she is called King Brunhilde, that I guess that was that character. Her mama named her Valkyrie. I'm gonna call her Valkyrie. So the gang ends up at the omnipotent facility kingdom. What is this place? It almost looked like just another version of Asgard. It really big did. Floating city. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And so uh, our gang is gonna go try and ask for help from all the gods and then they're they see how they're all acting and they're like uh fuck maybe we should just take the weapon (laughs) do you notice that they were all acting just like gore was complaining about that they were all just very selfish very petty very much into themselves and all into the show their orgy everything yeah so again kind of thor is getting this insight of seeing what these gods are like and what he does not want to be like you know he even makes the comment when he meets you know, Zeus, don't meet your heroes because he loves Zeus. He, you know, fashioned himself after Zeus. Yeah, yeah. Well, if you've ever watched The Boys, you know, never meet your fucking heroes. Yeah, this scene was interesting. What did you guys think of Russell Crowe as Zeus? 
I honestly thought he was going to come out almost like gladiator Russell Crowe, that he was going to come out with big. But when he came out with the actual Greek accent and everything, I loved it. I, you know, this was a different Russell Crowe for me, and I thought he did a great job as Zeus. I fucking think he tanked it. You think so? No, it was fucking dumb. I didn't like the accent. It didn't fit his look. I don't. I didn't mind that he was the way he was. I just didn't like the accent. I didn't mm-hmm. buy it. Yeah, the, yeah. For me, the accent was a little little off putting. This bit does give us a, a pretty funny scene when he flicks uh, fucking Thor's robes off and all the women faint. And uh, I thought it was pretty funny. What do you think of the tattoo? <laughs> Rip, what was it? Rip Loki. Yeah, R.I.P. Loki <laughs> with the helmet, and it was actually a broken horn on the helmet. Yeah. Oh my god, I was laughing so hard. That was good. This movie definitely has moments. So that's for sure. Uh, turns out that the gods aren't going to help him. Shocker. Uh, did you notice Korg's god? What? Yeah, the throne he was sitting on. Yeah, what was you, the throne made out of? Uh, rock, paper, and scissors. Yeah, because what did he say in Ragnarok? Uh, he made a rock, paper, scissors reference when they meet Meek because yeah. he's the scissor part of it. Unless you're scissors. So yeah, the, another callback from Taika, which I thought was fucking hilarious. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, the gods won't help naturally, and so they decide to steal the thunderbolt. And this is where Korg gets fucked up. You know, all we see is his face. We, I thought he was dead at first. So did I. You know what I mean? And it kind of made sense and whatever. But Thor retaliates and he fucking slams uh, Zeus through the heart or through his chest with his own thunderbolt. I love how he caught it and then threw it back at him. Yeah. And I saw that coming a mile away too. I kept thinking you're throwing a thunderbolt at the god of thunder. Yeah. Which is funny that you call it a thunderbolt because it's shaped like lightning. Yeah. So... I'm, I'm not saying you're doing it. I'm just saying that's mm-hmm. what it's called, right? So they managed to steal the... Lightning bolt. Thank you. And they figure... Is, is that a callback to Percy Jackson? And then they figure out where the kids are um, through uh, Axel's vision linking with All Thor. seeing effect. Yeah, yeah which yeah. I... Every time they did this, I had to laugh because Thor is kind of like this big babysitter and they're all kind of... Um, hanging on his every word and this that and the other and then they really fucking fuck with us and they cut back to the kids at some point and christian bale's sitting there and it's kind of like you were talking earlier professor i think this is i think this is christian bale's best bit in this film mm-hmm. is when he's sitting in, he reminded me so much of pennywise yeah he's very mm. creepy he was fucking awesome so they figure out where they are and they go down to face him which looks like a moon right a very small moon. Yes. Uh, Did you like how they crashed into it? Because it looked like it was so far away. Yes. <laughs> and the goats just smash into it. Just it just straight into it. Yeah. <laughs> and then it falls and the camera turns and you're like, oh, that's how gravity works. It's pretty funny. Now, one of the things I thought was interesting in this shadow realm that they got to is that all of a sudden we lost all color. I fucking thought that was brilliant. And I guess that was to symbolize the loss of hope. There are no gods present in this realm, so there's no hope. There's no joy. There's no nothing, so it lost it. Every time well, you know, Thor or any of our gods use their powers, do you notice that there was color again? Because they represent hope. Yeah, well, that color also coincided with what they were uh, using, and it created light. And so I took it as the light being created, and it shone onto our heroes, and that's why we got the color pops. But I, visually, I thought it was stunning. I thought it was a really cool uh, way to do the scene. It made me feel or think of Sin City. Yeah, a little bit, for sure, for sure. 
great fucking flick, by the way. Mm-hmm. So it turns out the children are gone. And who's there to greet them? Gore. I like how Jane figures out really quick that it was all a trap, that they were basically after Stormbreaker and she just throws Stormbreaker away. I mean, I, I love what they're doing with her. They aren't making it, putting it all on Thor Odinson. They're not making him the central hero. They're making her just as much of a hero. And I, I love that about this movie. Oh my God. When she picks up Stormbreaker and throws it and then Thor looks at her and he goes, well, you just threw away my best weapon. I don't know what you're doing. Oh my God, that bit had me rolling. One one critique I do have about uh, this film, and maybe it's a carryover from uh, Ragnarok, Infinity War, and Endgame, is Thor sometimes comes across as a doof. And that kind of bothers me just a little bit. That was my second complaint in this movie. Yeah, and these are the bits where he does kind of come off like a doof. But um, well, can I just say that this is where I think Taika went a little bit wrong in that it worked in Ragnarok to have those doofy little scenes that every so often you kind of have Thor being the comical effect. I felt like he he found that that worked in Ragnarok and he really pushed it too much in this movie. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. And in Ragnarok, he doesn't even come off doofy. He just comes off like the bit where he throws the ball and it bounces back and hits him that's in his exactly head. exactly what I was thinking that, of. That's not really doofy that's just bad timing (laughs) i think you're right that taika just went a little bit too far with it this time Mm -hmm. and um as it turns out this was all a ploy to get stormbreaker because gore needs stormbreaker to use the bifrost to get to eternity and you know i think it's this scene where uh they're all fighting and gore gets the upper hand and he uses the tentacle things and he you know he's going to kill jane and he's going to kill valkyrie and you know he's telling thor to summon the axe and i thought that bit was pretty good and finally uh he does get the fucking stormbreaker well he first he gets uh valkyrie and stabs her through i thought she was dead at that point oh so did i, I was gonna be so pissed i, I really thought that was the end of her because we kind of had gotten a little soliloquy from her earlier about never finding love again and kind of giving up on all that and she wants to die and go to valhalla yeah and i thought okay well this is you know her out uh and then he i love how you know he says take take us home and Gore just reaches up and grabs the, the axe. I loved that whole sequence yeah. there. I kind of wish there was a little bit more to that scene. If that scene had been expanded on a little bit more of kind of the whole fight there. When they got taken back to Earth without the axe, my thought first thought was, how the hell are they going to get to wherever he's going? I mean, that's the only thing they have to do the Bifrost anymore. So I... I I was starting to think that, okay, now this movie's going to start getting far-fetched. They're going to have some other special means to get to the heart of the universe. And, yeah, I was starting to lose it a little bit with there. Uh, so they get back, and uh, it turns out that Mjolnir is actually making Jane worse. And they finally, Thor and Jane finally, you know, admit that they love each other and they want to spend time together. And Thor's like, don't pick up that hammer again. Can we talk about that for just a little sec? I about think. why the hammer is making her sick? They briefly, so briefly touched on it. And I think they didn't say enough about it. Do you? Did you catch what they said about it? Obviously not. They said that, uh, it, that basically the power was made for immortals, for gods, for Asgardians. 
uh, and that the fact that she had mortal blood in her and a mortal soul in her, that it was kind of overpowering her. Well, what really was going on, if they're kind of hinting at the comic book version, is that when you get the power of Thor and you get all of that in you, it immediately heals you. It gets all the toxins out of you. It gets all the poisons out of you. She was being given chemotherapy and cancer drugs. So every time she used that hammer, it took the chemotherapy and all those cancer drugs out of her. And so she was basically getting sicker and sicker because she was basically not getting any treatments for her cancer. And so that's why her cancer was progressing so much faster. But I thought Mjolnir was supposed to heal her. It wasn't detecting the cancer. It was just detecting the poisons and the toxins in her. It didn't have the capability of healing the cancer. But at that last moment, all the, to- all the chemo drugs should have been out of her system. Yeah, all the chemo and the toxins. And so when she nothing picked up to that, fight the can- but when cancer. she picked up the hammer, since there's no more uh, stuff fighting the cancer, why didn't it heal the cancer? Because it, it doesn't heal cancer. That's one of the things they cover in the comic book. Uh, as guardian magic, a guardian technology, they have no capability of healing cancer because they don't deal with cancer. Well, that's convenient. So I, that's the way it was in the comic book. So I took it in a in a slightly different tack that I understand uh, it that Mjolnir is going to remove all of those toxins. But a comment was made, and I think it must have been made by Gore, you're only going to get used. You're, you're never going to be taken care of. And in general, you are going to be used by the gods, and you're never going to be rewarded or fulfilled by the gods. And so Mjolnir is only going to affect positive things that happen to you while you're using the hammer. And then as soon as you're not using the hammer, then you, then you're going to go right back to where you were before, because it's only concerned with you being the, the resource right now and not making you necessarily better in the long run. Yeah. And I, I'm kind of along those lines with you because when she drops it, she's not Thor anymore. When Thor puts down Mjolnir, he's still Thor. You know what I mean? Well, they say that, uh, using the hammer is speeding up her cancer. Yeah, no, 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 no. I get that. I get that. But what I'm saying is she's only Thor when she's holding the hammer. That is another comic book reference. When Thor started in the comic books, he had a human version of him called Donald Blake. And only times when he held the hammer, that's when it became Thor. In every other case of any other Thor, if they don't have the hammer, they turn back into their mortal selves. Well, there you go. So Thor has to go and have it out with Gore one last time and get the children back, get the children back. And it seemingly that he, like he has to do it by himself. I was going to say, what did you think of this kind of moment between Thor and Jane when he's asking her not to go and not to use the hammer? Did you find that emotional? I thought it was trying to be, and maybe a little bit. I thought they thought they played the scene. Well, um, I like, I like the bit when she does accept it and she looks at him and she says, you better come back, right? Because it's like they have unfinished business. And, you know, I, I thought that scene was fine. What do you think, Professor? I thought it was trying to hit on the, uh, resonate on those emotion, on emotional notes that just did not have enough time to mature and give us the uh, bravada, the, uh, the grand uh, feeling of hope or despair that you know we're going to be having between two people that want to have things work 
and yet things seem perilous. Right. And I think I think the movie's tone didn't help with that. The only reason why that scene didn't work for me and didn't draw out any emotions, we all knew she was going to go in and make the save at some point in the movie. You knew she was going to use that hammer again. So I felt like him telling her to stay, she wasn't going to stay in that bed. So it was already a moot point. Yeah, yeah, and there's that. And the fact that they all of a sudden have decided that they want to be together after having so much time apart from each other, it, it just didn't have enough uh there just wasn't enough time for us to uh, embrace and get behind the relationship. I understand we got that little bit in the beginning about how they used to be together, but it, it there just wasn't enough time. So Thor goes off to fight Gore. Can I talk more Easter eggs? When Thor arrives in Eternity's palace, throne room, whatever it is, did you catch the statue's the heads in the background. Yeah, they were, the, they, they, they were the same fucking celestials that were in the fucking Eternals. That's not all that was there. I don't give a fuck. Uh, the Watcher was one of them. Oh, I didn't see him. Death was represented there. Some people say it's Death. Some people say it's Kython from Scarlet Witch. Uh, so there's a little argument with that. The Living Tribunal had a statue there. So that's the third time we've had a representation of the Living Tribunal. So basically what I'm trying to say is right there, they expanded. They also had Infinity in there, which Infinity is the sister to Eternity. Eternity is supposed to be the representation of everything that was. He is the entire universe as it has always existed. Infinity, his sister, represents everything that could be. So right there, they're really starting to introduce a lot of these gods of the Marvel Universe. So Thor gets to Gore, and they have to have a fight, and Thor has the children with him. And I got to say, I didn't see this part coming. Me neither. And I thought it was fucking brilliant. I thought it was cute. (laughs) And I guess cute might be... No, that, that's a good way to put it. but Because it did kind of feel very Disney Channel special. Yes, it did. A little did. bit, right? Yeah, it was a little trite. Yeah. Oh, okay, that's good work. Um, but he imbues all of the children with the powers of Thor. and then Temporarily. I, I, he fucking loved that. He fucking throws out the temporarily. And we get another fucking Guns N' Roses song, like we did with the Led Zeppelin songs in Ragnarok. And yeah, they fucking have this battle. And I, I thought it was fucking adorable. You really liked the bunny, huh? Oh, that was hilarious. It was cute. That little girl was cute. I mean, they they did a good job casting. And so that's only going to last for so long, and we're going to have to get to the main fight. And like you were saying, uh, comic book guy, we knew Jane was coming, right? So uh, they're battling, they're battling, Thor's losing, and then all of a sudden uh, Jane shows up, and Thor is heartbroken and relieved at the exact same time because now... They got a chance, but in the same respect, it's probably going to kill Jane. It's a bittersweet pill. Yeah, yeah. So uh, they managed to destroy the Necrosword uh, with Mjolnir. When it starts kind of to rebuild itself, so she has to draw in the pieces of the, the Necrosword into Mjolnir, and it's kind of almost like you know representing her cancer inside of it. Yeah, but she destroys it. Nevertheless, yeah. the door to eternity has been opened. Mm-hmm. And so naturally, Gore is going to go through it and Jane and Thor follow. And this is kind of where we get to the bit where we were talking earlier. Um, I was curious if and how they were going to do in eternity. 
And I, like I said earlier, I, I fucking dug it. Can we talk for a sec about the realm of eternity? Did you recognize the design of that realm that they were in? What did that remind you of? Vormir. And what specifically? The water that they were laying in. It was that represented the inside of the soul stone soul world, which is the water and the orange sky and everything. This one had the water and a blue sky. What would that do you think represent? Heaven. The stories that I have read and I have to agree with, that is the inside of the space stone. That is because eternity represents all of space. He kind of has a connection to the space stone. We are seeing eternity inside of this, this space realm. That's why it's blue. Same color. Interesting. Hmm. I didn't put that together, nor did I care. But my comic book guys like it. Admitting defeat, Thor manages to convince Gore that all he wanted from eternity was not to destroy the gods, but to get his daughter love back. Foster succumbs to her illness and dies in Thor's arms. Eternity allows Gore's request to revive love, whom he asks Thor to take care of before he dies from side effects of the Necrosword. The children return to Asgard, where Valkyrie and Sif begin training them. Meanwhile, Thor, now in possession of Mjolnir again, continues to go on adventures to help people, with love now yielding Stormbreaker by his side. Roll credits so marvel does this thing with their villains that uh they it's kind of a redemption arc i guess if you will they did it with killmonger they did it with loki and now they're doing it with uh gore they're trying to get you to sympathize with them at the very end and if you really think about it outside of the necrosword and just being cursed which comes along with evil things, whatever. Was Gore really the bad guy? I mean, if you think about it, he was just trying to do the universe a favor and get rid of these self-obsessed uh, egomaniac gods, uh, you know, for the greater good of the world. The greater, greater good. good. And so for him to have this redemption arc at the end, I guess was I guess I was okay with it. It almost felt like a cop-out lazy writing maybe i don't know but he got his daughter back and i'm always a fan of that one big thing that really stood out to me during this end scene is something that we have not seen i don't think we've seen it in a marvel movie especially not a thor related movie is that thor in every movie needs to win he needs to beat the bad guy in this movie he says gore you won it's over and he gives up and he goes and takes care of Jane. He doesn't care anymore. And this is what gives us the arc to his story. This is what kind of gives us the end point in that it's not about winning anymore. It's about being with the people you care about. And it's about enjoying those moments and appreciating those moments with them. And so he at that point has realized Gore can just kill him with a wish and he doesn't care. He just wants to be with Jane. And so I love how they kind of tied that up a little bit, even though it was kind of a deflating moment in the big fight scenes and everything. I write it kind of does feel like a little bit of a cop out. It was an interesting way to end this movie. Uh, I agree with you on that. And, you know, recalling it in my brain again, he even says, you know, yeah, you're right. You're one. And I'm, and I'm not going to waste any more time trying to fight you. Do what you got to do. I'm going to go spend my last moments with, with Jane. And you I love, I mean, so I love how good. he puts it to Gore is, you know, go ahead and make your wish, 
but wish for what you really want. Don't wish for the end of all the gods. You know, you really just want your daughter back. Make that wish. So Gore dies. Jane dies. Jane dies, which I thought was pretty sad. But as soon as she turned into gold dust, I knew exactly where she was going. And I half-heartedly expected to see Sir Anthony Hopkins standing there welcoming her into the afterlife. But we didn't get that. that In the comic book? It was Odin. Oh, was it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe they couldn't. Maybe they couldn't get Sir Anthony Hopkins to do it. The daughter. Do you know who that was played by? Yes, India Rose. India Rose. Chris has Hemsworth's daughter. Oh, how cute! So did did you guys tear up at all during this movie? This these parts with Jane dying and the child coming back, I think, were the most emotional for me. But did you tear up? I started to tear up. What about you, Don? No. I didn't either. I will say I was a little annoyed when she finally figured out whatever her catchphrase was and she just whispered it in his ear and we don't get to hear it. Oh, I fucking loved that. I did you know, too. I, I wanted I to hear what, whatever that. it was. Of course you do. That's why exactly why Taika did it that way. Mm. Because you wanted it and he's in control. Um, and it's to be shared just between the two of them. That's right. That's right. It's one of those moments. So speaking of not tearing up, what about love not tearing up? Dad's dead. Okay, I'll go with you. She, well, what choice does she have? I know, but you know, there's her dad, and and her dad dies in her arms, and then no tears. Well, maybe she is conditioned to I don't accept know. what it is and move on. I'm guessing she's in a little bit of shock from being brought back to life, and from the last thing she probably remembers is dying. Who knows? Yeah, who knows? Uh, we didn't get to see what happened between that time and her being with Uncle Thor. So once all this happens, uh, we now cut back to new Asgard and we have Sif and Valkyrie training the children just in case something like this should pop off again. They are better prepared. I thought that was a good message. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then we cut to Thor living the domestic life, making pancakes. Which you notice that's the second time in the movie he had been making pancakes. The first time was during the flashback of his Jane romance that he right. used to make pancakes for her. Now he's making them for the child, which is kind of, I thought was an interesting tie-in. Yeah, interesting. It's funny what he finds interesting. <laughs> and so... She's a precocious little 10-year-old. Yes, she is. And I love the dialogue with him. It's so funny. Die, it, demon! Yeah. And she doesn't want... Or she goes, do you have your boots on? And she puts her feet up on the counter and they're fucking slippers. It, it's, a, it's a fucking adorable. I kept thinking, did either of your daughters act like that when they were that age? Uh, they still do. Okay. And I'm going to go ahead and speak for you, bud, because, well, yeah. So they're traveling around Thor and his niece, I guess, or whatever, Gore's daughter. Yeah, because Thor's friend Gore's daughter. <laughs> because he's Uncle Thor. He's Uncle Thor. They're traveling around, doing good, and they're living in what looked like to be a Winnebago. And to me, when I saw it, the first thing I thought of was the Winnebago from Spaceballs. And it's because of the way the wings were set out, and it just, it's what it reminded me of. And it kind of fit this whole 80s motif that uh, I'd been feeling throughout this whole movie. Now, whether or not... Taika meant for that to happen, whatever. To me, I saw the Spaceballs Winnebago. So anyways, they come out and we find that Thor has Mjolnir again. And now Love has uh, Stormbreaker. Stormbreaker. And all the while, Korg is telling us the story and giving us an update. And he calls them Love and Thunder, which I love when movies can use the title of the movie in said movie. And this is one of those moments that they did it. And, you know, 
typical Marvel fashion. They come down in an action pose, and then we cut to credits. What do you think of you know Korg telling the story, and he talks about his life, that he regrew his body, and now he has a boyfriend. Did you catch the boyfriend's name? Wasn't it Ralph? No. no. It was Bruce? Dwayne. 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 And do you know right. why he's Dwayne? Is it Dwayne the Rock Johnson? It's Dwayne the Rock. It's, it's kind of, oh. <laughs> pretty Pretty good. This will take us into the end credit scenes, and the first one was Zeus talking to someone while he's looking at his wound and trying to heal himself, and it turns out that he is talking to Hercules, played by Ted Lasso's Brett Goldstein. What do you guys think of this? I think this is great because Hercules has a long history in the Thor comic book, so I'm glad that they are bringing him into the MCU. This also feels like a setup for our next Thor movie that maybe Zeus is going to be the new big bad. Maybe. And then we're going to have some storyline between Thor and Hercules. And in the comic book, they become really good friends. And I can see Brett Goldstein and Chris Hemsworth just hitting it off. They look like a fun duo. And we'll see. We'll see if Taika comes back and what direction uh, we decide to go with it. And at the very end, we get the final stinger. And it's uh, Jane... Uh, getting to Valhalla, and she's met by Hemdale. And I got to say, as soon as I saw Idris Elba as Hemdale, I even started clapping a little bit because I think a lot of people in the theater did. That was re- that was nice. It was a nice callback. It was a nice touch. Yeah. So, and that tells us that Jane is dead for reals, uh, but she's in Valhalla. Can I talk about the importance of this scene? What this sets up? Well, I was curious. What's the point of showing us that? There was a definite point to it because what did we not see in that scene? We saw Valhalla in the in the distance. What did they not show us about Jane? That she didn't have her cancer? That she did not enter Valhalla. We never saw her walk through the gates of Valhalla. This is an important storyline that relates again back to the comic book because it happened the exact same way in the comic books. In the comic books, she decides not to go to Valhalla. She decides not to go through the gates. Because of that, she is able to go back. She's able to be brought back. And Thor and Odin together in the comic books are able to revive her. And then they are able to uh, allow her to go off and nurse her cancer. This leads into kind of something that I think they were hinting at throughout the whole movie when Valkyrie was talking about how she is kind of tired of this life and she's, you know, she doesn't have love and Jane's kind of encouraging her to go off and find love again and to get back out there. Because in the comic books, when Jane comes back, she becomes the new Valkyrie. And that's why I was saying that Valkyrie Brunhilde is important because eventually, I think in the MCU, if they continue this storyline, if Natalie Portman comes back, she will be Valkyrie Foster or Valkyrie Jane. So when we were looking at Valhalla, I got to say that what it really reminded me of, I'm looking at it and it's thinking, man, that looks just like Lord of the Rings. Oh, speaking of Lord of the Rings. Oh, no, 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 no. Now it's time for John's moment. This is the part of our podcast where I like to compare every movie we review to the greatest movie series ever made, Lord of the Rings. And, you know, Thor, Love and Thunder is no exception. So let's just start off with a fellowship. That seems like the easy one. You just... Throw the fellowship together. It's Thor, Jane, Valkyrie, and Korg. That is our fellowship. 
Now, this is where it gets a bit tricky. We could actually go two routes with the rest of the assignments. So I'm going to give you actually two versions, and I'm going to see which ones you guys like better. The first route is the easiest one. It's the most obvious one. We just pick Thor as our Frodo. Jane is our Sam. She's the one that helps out Frodo, you know, along the path. Valkyrie is our Aragon because she's the king after all. And Korg is pretty much everyone else. Hell, they go on a they go on an actual journey, and in the end, Thor is able to make him feel worthy of love, which allows him to reconnect with Jane and eventually take Gore's daughter, Love, you know, as a child that he's going to take care of. So the ring in this case would be kind of a tough call, but in many ways, it's Thor upset, Thor's obsession to find a meaning in his life. And when he kind of decides to stop letting the meaning find him, and he just goes ahead and finds his meaning, is kind of like him destroying the ring and basically becoming the new Thor, becoming the Thor he's meant to be. So that's kind of the first version. The second version, which I have a feeling I may get the D on this, but we'll see, is I'm going to pick Gore as a possible Frodo, except this is a Frodo who didn't have a Sam. And because he lost his Sam, which was really his daughter, uh, for him, the Necrosword or the ring basically was able to corrupt him. And we are seeing a corrupted Frodo of what Frodo could have been if he didn't have that Sam influence on him. It's when the sword is destroyed and he starts to see that he really doesn't care that much about killing the gods, but really just wants his Sam back, his love back, that he is able to shake that that ring's corruption, that sword's corruption, and basically finish, complete his journey. So that is the other view of Lord of the Ring comparison that I wanted to make. So basically all I got left to say is bring on my grades. Uh, I am going to give you the D for clearly missing the obvious choice that was staring right in front of your face. Gore is Gollum, and the ring is the Necrosword. And what the ring did to Gollum, the Necrosword did to Gore. And at the end of Lord of the Rings, and I'm only speaking cinema cinematically because I haven't read the books, Gollum is truly found happiness and peace as he's falling into the lava and then he even smiles as he's dying because he had the precious so in a way that's how i would have said it but what do i know can i give you my reason why i didn't pick Gollum? nope uh i'm <laughs> gonna give it to you anyway uh i actually really thought about that i thought about picking him as Gollum, but the only reason i didn't the only reason why i said he could be a version of frodo is that Gollum was in was content with his precious he just wanted to be alone with his precious with the ring he wouldn't have gone on any journey he wouldn't have gone out you know killing the gods and all that if he had gotten that necrosword and that was his precious he would have just gone into a cave and hugged the sword for the rest of his existence that's all he cared about was the sword whereas gore cared about using the sword to complete his journey to complete his mission so that's why i didn't feel he was quite Gollum. Yeah, well, and that's why you're getting the D. Okay. Professor? Uh, I'm going to give that a solid C. Okay. So there you go. And that was John's... Moment. All right, so uh, what do you guys think? You guys ready to rate this bitch? I think we should rate this bitch.
I am as long as I don't have to go first. Uh, Professor, how do we do our ratings? We do our ratings on a scale of one to five fucks. Five fucks is a movie that is cinematic gold. It is something you're ready to watch anytime, anywhere, as soon as somebody says you want to watch that. A one fuck movie is a movie where you have seen it and you have no desire to see it again. It's a one and done movie. And what's a zero? A zero fuck movie. That is a movie where somebody owes me two hours of my life back. Fuck you for making me watch that. And really that we just don't give a fuck. Um, okay, I'll go. I went into Thor kind of knowing what to expect, uh, given what Ragnarok did and how much fun Ragnarok was, and it revitalized Thor, and I was looking forward to him in Infinity War and Endgame, and then what they did to Thor in Endgame, and just how they're developing the character. I had a lot of high hopes for Thor Love and Thunder. Out of the two Marvel movies that we've just recently reviewed, Doctor Strange and Thor, I definitely like Thor a lot better than Doctor Strange. And maybe it's because I like Taika Waititi as a director more than Sam Raimi. Maybe. But I got to say, you know, from start to finish, this Thor was a lot of fun. It was a true comic book movie. It was definitely a Marvel Cinematic Universe movie. It had some elements that made it feel very Disney, I guess, Disney Plus, uh, kind of like Ms. Marvel. But that's not necessarily a bad thing because I really enjoyed Ms. Marvel. And so if that's the direction Marvel is going, so be it. We can do this for one or two films throughout our phases. But please, Marvel, also give us the movies that we've come to love and you know i've said it ever since it came out and i'll probably say it as long as there are mcu movies being made i think infinity war and endgame broke us i really do because nothing is ever going to reach that pinnacle and unfortunately that's the standard i hold every marvel movie i go into and not a lot of them not really any of them have gotten close shang chi was a lot of fun black widow was fun i i enjoyed it um eternals on the second watch, maybe okay, but it's just so fucking long, right? And then uh, Spider-Man No Way Home was fun, but I liked it when they called it Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. And then, of course, uh, Doctor Strange 2, Evil Dead Rising. I was hoping that Marvel could give me, if nothing else, Ragnarok. I'll go ahead and say it out loud right now. I think I liked Ragnarok better. The cast was good. The story was fine. The soundtrack, you know, if you don't love Guns N' Roses, don't see this fucking film. Uh, I thought that his needle drops uh, were fine, and they worked uh, very well. I was really surprised to hear November Rain, and it's just the ending of it, but whatever. I thought, oh, that was, that was kind of clever. But anyways, um, you know, overall, I liked uh, Thor, Love and Thunder. I liked it better than Doctor Strange. I will probably go see it again. I will probably watch it when it comes out on Disney Plus because I just can't get enough of Thor, the character. You know, he's fun. He's lovable. Sometimes too much of a doof, but he makes up for it with his, you know, charisma and charm. So for all of those reasons, I am giving Thor love and thunder 4.25 fucks. Holy moly. I didn't think you were going to go that high. Mic drop. May I go next? No, you may not. Okay. I'm just kidding, buddy. Go ahead. Uh, I like how you talk about 
comparing you know every marvel movie to endgame i'm a little different in that i hold probably any future avengers game or movie to endgame when it comes to thor movies i hold them all up to ragnarok because i felt like ragnarok was the best of the series of the thor movies Uh, it's one of my top marvel movies if i had to pick top three it's gonna be in that top three so when i went into this movie i was you know, I had a lot of expectations, a lot of hope that it would deliver me another Ragnarok. The problem is, is I think they tried too hard to give us all the best elements of Ragnarok without giving us the best story. Thor Love and Thunder is basically just a story of finding love, losing love, and then refinding it again. In a nutshell, the movie is, is a love letter between Thor and Jane Foster. It tries too hard to give us those Ragnarok effects that I talk about. The the, the comedy, the one-liners, all that. Um, but I still enjoyed the movie. I laughed a lot. I had a really good time. And I still look forward to future Thor movies. Bale, as we talked about earlier, as Gore, top-notch. I think he did a fantastic job. He delivered. He's an amazing actor. The only regret that I have is that we didn't get more of him. Natalie Portman has said when she saw the movie, when she saw the final cut, they cut out a lot of scenes from the movie. There are a ton of footage out there that, you know, were deleted scenes and I hope we get to see them. And I hope a lot of them are future gore scenes because I want more of gore. You know, it's sad that they killed him off and, uh, maybe they'll bring him back. Maybe they won't. But I would love to see more of Christian Bale's gore. Uh, when it came to Portman as Jane Foster playing the mighty Thor, again, I thought she delivered on this. I thought she gave us an action hero that wasn't the princess, that wasn't the one. You know, she was a hero. She was, you know, same caliber in my in my opinion of a Black Widow or Valkyrie. You know, she was a standalone character. So much so that, you know, I kind of mentioned a little bit ago that she could return as a character Valkyrie. I could see that as a future spinoff movie or even a future Disney streaming show to bring her back in a maybe a six-episode arc giving us that Valkyrie character return, uh, her continuing story. I feel like there's more to tell there. They didn't show her going into Valhalla, so again, her story is not finished. Chris Hemsworth, again, he is Thor. I can't see any other actor playing him. He did a fantastic job. Unfortunately, in this movie, I felt like he overplayed the character a little bit too much. Don, like you said, he comes across as kind of sometimes that doofy character, and maybe it was a bit much in this movie. But I have to say, when it comes to MCU movies, I am overcritical because of my high expectations. So when I criticize this movie... I'm not criticizing it because I'm saying it's a bad movie. I'm criticizing it because my own bias and my own expectations are set so high. I expect to go into this movie and immediately I was, you know, thinking about joking with you, uh, professor, you know, at the beginning of the movie, I think I even said it. I've already given it a five and we had just finished the previews. (laughs) I was expecting a five and it didn't quite deliver for me. Uh, what it actually did deliver to me is four and a half fucks. That's where I went with this movie. And the reason why I'm giving it four and a half fucks is because personally, in my own bias, 
It was better than Top Gun Maverick, which I gave 4.25, but it was not as good as Dark Knight, so I couldn't give it any higher than a 4.5. All right. Uh, Professor, you're up, buddy. Thor Love and Thunder is a movie that I've been eager to see. It was satisfying to finally get into the theater and and see it with you guys. I really uh, enjoy a good Marvel experience, and they are always a treat to be there for that first showing when you watch it in the theater with the audience on the big screen. Fantastic sound. I really appreciate this experience. The movie in general, I think, is a good movie, and it feels like it's trying to be as I was stating earlier, it's trying to be hitting on those high notes that we felt when we are watching Ragnarok. And Ragnarok is a great Marvel movie. And Taika Waititi, what he did with this, I think is admirable. And it is a good movie that delivers on a lot of those notes. As we were speaking earlier, it feels like it's not having necessarily everything in just the right balance or just the right way. Maybe there's a little bit much or a little bit less. And having those uh, balances not being quite right made the movie uh, slightly crestfallen for me. Chris Hemsworth loved him. He he is Thor. And, and you know, the, the that, that bright, vibrant red cape of his. And, and he, you know, it's such a color pop having him on the screen. And all of the amusing little side stories were okay, but, you know, they were modestly distracting. You know, the, uh, the, the screaming goats, the, uh, the, the relationship that Thor has with his uh, axe and hammer. Having Jane having... Uh, her own uh, story arc was satisfying to see, and it was nice to see Natalie Portman back in the role again. I was not necessarily expecting to have her come back, and having her put back in there, and we're being told that she is super important to us, it just it felt shoehorned in, and it, it felt a, a little too uh, forced. And with that, it... I, I felt like that the story uh, lacked a little bit because it was pushed so hard in the movie. I also think that Thor is having uh, a really, really impressive nemesis in Gore. Gore, I think, is probably the high point of this movie. And the performance that Christian Bale gives us is fantastic. And he is a wonderful villain that I'm disappointed to have him not be there for us in the end i would have appreciated it more if he could be a character that somehow uh, he slips away for some reason or for whatever reason he's out there and there's a possibility that he could come back and the fact that he died okay okay that's okay in general it's a very uh familiar uh, familiar experience it totally feels like a marvel movie and I do appreciate uh, the, the movie a lot. However, it does not necessarily hold to me as high as I was hoping it was going to go. And it's good, but not as good as I was hoping it to be. I'm giving this 3.75 fucks. 3.75 fucks from the professor, 4.25 fucks from yours truly, and 4.5 fucks 
from the comic book guy, which gives us an average of 4.2 fucks, which puts it right where we were. Uh, it is slightly worse than Hot Fuzz, Nightmare on Elm Street, The Matrix, The Road Warrior, The Crow, Shang-Chi, and so on, and slightly better than Spider-Man No Way Home, Edge of Tomorrow, Clerks 2, and The Suicide Squad. So next we're going to be doing 80s action movies, right? Is that right? Yeah. And with that, if we're doing 80s action movies, I'm thinking a little bit along the lines of how are we going to decide what to start with? And I also want to clarify a little bit more. 80s action movies is a particular thing to Don. It's not 80s action movies unless it's this kind of an 80s action movie. What does that 80s action movie have to have to be on your top of your list? Well, I'm glad the two guys asked this one guy that question. Uh, in order for it to be a 80s classic movie in my book, uh, you have to have over-the-top action. You have to have a lot of one-liners. Uh, you can't really go beyond, I'm going to say, two hours and five minutes. Absolute tops. A great 80s action movie should come in anywhere around 90 to 100 minutes. That's just me. And I think you have to have one of the staples. I think it has to either be Stallone. Yeah, there, there's a couple of guys here. Schwarzenegger. Yeah. It's got to be that over-the-top mega action hero. And, you know... Jean-Claude Van Damme. And and an, another 80s superhero, if you will, um, Chuck Norris. So uh, how are we going to pick? I, I think that we should pick it based on one of our actors that we just listed off. All right. John, pick an actor. Arnold Schwarzenegger. What a he, fucking shock. I saw that seemed, coming a mile yeah, away. He seems, in in my mind, you know, we went through, what, Stallone versus Schwarzenegger for years. Is who is the top? I think we should start with him. And Professor, who do you think we should start with? I want to ease into it. I'm thinking Jean-Claude Van Damme. Uh, I'm going to say fucking Stallone. You have to. All right. So comic book guy picks Schwarzenegger. Professor picks Jean-Claude Van Damme. I'm going to go ahead and pick Sylvester Stallone. And if you want to know which movie that we are going to review next week, be sure to check out our clues on our website and social media outlets. And speaking of which, hey, John, where can they find us? If you'd like to hear more of our podcast, read our show notes, as well as any movie trivia and anything else we feel like posting, check out our website at threeguysinaflick.com. We're also available on all social media and podcast hosting sites. All right. So there you have it. I want to thank everybody who listens to us. I especially want to thank Ronnie and Jill. And I'm going to throw out a uh, special shout out to my man, Zach. His, today was his last day at our employment. And so now I have to work without my buddy. So that's a bummer. I just want to say, Zach, if you're listening, it was an honor to work with you. You're a really good dude. Make sure you stay in touch. Keep listening to the pod. And Best of luck, homie. I want to thank all the people out there, too, who's been submitting some new movies for us to review. We are collecting them all. They're all going to go into the Bronco hat. John G., thanks again for all of your suggestions. For Three Guys in a Flick, I'm Don. I'm John. And I'm Ken. Thanks for listening. We don't know if they're actually listening to it. I think once you start 
listening or when you start viewing it, it gives you a view. So people probably think they're going to watch the movie or something. They press it. They hear our fucking voices and they're like, fuck this shit. I think that worked. All right, cool. Dude, I'm like one shot jock. No, one. One and done Don. One and done Don. That's, wait a minute, dude. That's not right. I just, I have a lot to say about Gore, so I just want to check. God, I hope not. That's how I would go. That's exactly how. I think that's my same. Yeah. Okay. I like Love and Thunder better than Ragnarok then. Just so I can be different than you fuck faces. What a Budinsky. Oh, that's not a bad choice. We that's also have Kurt Russell, choice. I think, in there somewhere. Yeah, well, yeah, hey, John, fuck, hey, guess what? You had your fucking chance. I'm just Shut the fuck up and let me have my turn. God, he's so rude. I'm taking my hammer and going home. I'm curious. If you could pick one, do you pick... Oh, Valkyrie in a heartbeat, dude. Just the way she looks. Oh, heartbeat. Jane Foster in the Thor costume. Oh, no, I'd go with Valkyrie in the Valkyrie oh. fucking costume. <clears throat> on the fucking Pegasus? Are you fucking kidding me? Only if you're flying on the Pegasus. Oh, dude, she would be flying. That's not where I was going at all. Oh, my <laughs> bad. <laughs> all right, fuck off. Good night.